Disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than You can go ahead and be seated. Let's go ahead and pause for a word of prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for beautiful music, reminding us of the great truths of this season, of the gospel, of the good news of your coming. Thank you also for texts like what was just read that show the humanity of the saints that have come before us. The real life stuff. Speak through my imperfect and feeble lips tonight to edify the people that you've gathered here at Epiphany. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, again, thanks for coming out tonight to Epiphany. It's, I appreciate you uh, daring the frightful weather outside, as the song has it. Uh, and it was pretty frightful today, so glad you could make it. Um, so I don't know if you've ever heard this. I don't know if you grew up in Sunday school or if you went to church when you were a kid. But did anybody ever say this to you? Uh, don't ask questions. Just believe. Or stop asking questions. Just believe it. Uh, when I ask people, I go out, you know, I talk to people here at cafes and stuff and start conversations with them. And I ask people, uh, you know, sometimes why they don't attend the church. Uh, I'll get any number of answers to that question. You know, I don't believe in organized religion is a common one. Or uh, the church is hypocritical. You know, nothing too surprising. We've heard it all before kind of thing. Uh, but one of the answers I will get sometimes is people will say, well, I grew up in church. And, you know, the Sunday school teacher or the person that was teaching me told me when I asked a, a tough question that I needed to stop asking questions. And that didn't sit well with me. And I eventually left the church because I didn't feel like it was, I was allowed to express any doubts or any confusion about what the church believed. And so I left it. Now, I'm not naive. I know that, you know, this might just be an excuse for you know, why they left the church. There might be many other factors in there. But uh, at the same time, I do think that that has happened. 
I mean, I've been there before. I've been in situations where I've been busy and I've had an agenda and I have things to do and somebody's asking me questions and I just don't have the time to really dig into it with them. And so I get like the temptation is to just kind of go like later, later, just, you know, hey, just, just believe, like just accept this. Uh, I don't have time to deal with it right now, you know. I, I, so I, I get it. Um, and I think at its worst, the church has given off an era, an aura uh, at times that it even can be wicked to question or to have doubts. That it can be just flat out not allowed and a sign of an evil heart or something. Uh, now I say all that because um, the scene that is set for us tonight is of a very surprising figure in the history of the church seemingly having doubt. Somebody that we wouldn't expect it from uh, we know at this point from the Gospel of Matthew that John the Baptist, this person who is lauded all throughout his ministry by Jesus, who is prophesied about in the Old Testament, by this time is languishing away in a foreign or in a Roman prison. John, not being a man known for his politically correct speech, rather than kissing up to the king at the time, decided that the king needed to be called out for some really inappropriate, very unrighteous behavior. And so the king, you know, who was sleeping with his brother's wife, didn't like that and locked John up. That's essentially the story. Now, it's been months that John has been in jail. Months worth of time. John had been proclaiming loudly to the world that the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Savior, had come and that Jesus was it. I mean, you can find this all over the story of Luke, Matthew, Mark, and John. John the Baptist is in all of them. He's central. But wasn't the, the Messiah, wasn't the Anointed One supposed to put Israel back on top and restore righteousness to the world? I mean, wasn't he supposed to overthrow the Roman rulers and their pagan idols? Didn't Jesus even say at the very beginning of his ministry, quoting scripture, that he had come, quote, to set the captives free? And yet here's John the Baptist, his closest compatriot, cousin in ministry, his chief forerunner, Wasting away in jail for a righteous cause, for a good stand. He knows death is on its way. He knows he doesn't have much time left. And so he wonders, are you really the one who I thought you were? Or shall we look for another? You ever doubt or wonder if he really is who he says he is? So how does Jesus respond to doubting John? How does Jesus respond to doubting his coming? Well, I think first of all, what we see in the text is Jesus points us back to what reputable people have seen and heard. 
That's what we read in the text. The first way Jesus responds is pointing people to that. As a matter of fact, that really is the bedrock of our Christian faith. I mean, we, we believe that the Gospels that we read, that we just read from, are actually based on real accounts of real people in space and time that are actually believable. That's what we confess. We don't confess a blind faith. We confess a faith that is based on testimony, witnesses. This is the word. So if you look at 1 John chapter 1, written by the Apostle John, by the way, who was with Jesus in his ministry, you're going to see that emphasized tremendously. Listen to his words. Quote, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. A little later on in verse 3 of that same chapter, he says, he is that which we have seen and heard. Why does he say that? Because he wants you to know that, like, I'm telling you, this is the experience of the man. I saw this with my own eyeballs. I heard it. I felt him. I touched him. And Luke's stated purpose in writing his letter to a man named Theophilus at the very beginning of the letter is to indeed give him a, quote, orderly account of all the things that are being said about Jesus. An orderly eyewitness account. He says. So I could go on with verses that stress this in the New Testament, that stress the eyewitness experiential character of the gospel, but, but I'm not going to accept to say that when you doubt, and if you haven't, you will, because it's just part of the human experience, when you doubt, think about the fact that what you believe is not something that happened in Narnia, it's not something that happened in Middle Earth but it happened in history. The reports were all the same about Jesus. He did great miracles, and, and you have even his enemies saying that same thing, except they thought it was magic. So that's the first thing. Jesus says, Look, listen to what reputable people have seen and heard. That's what he points John to. But secondly, secondly, in response to this question, this doubt whether Jesus really is the coming one, Jesus gives his word. Notice what Jesus says to John's disciples. Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. Besides being a testimony of what Jesus is actually doing, these deeds that he points to are actually, John would have known it, and probably even John's disciples would have known it, they are Jesus referencing prophecies about him and about the Messiah found in the Old Testament. So for example, when he talks about the lepers being cleansed, the deaf hearing, the dead being raised up, he's really referencing Isaiah 29 and Isaiah 61. So Jesus is saying, tell John that I am fulfilling the word. Jesus always is pointing us back to his word. And so let me say again, if you find yourself doubting, if you find yourself struggling, don't ever hesitate to go to the word. Because in fact, Romans 10, 17 says that that's the source of faith. That's the source of faith is his word. So Jesus is pointing John there. He says, first of all, listen to the 
witnesses. Second of all, listen to the word. Thirdly, when we doubt, Jesus encourages us or exhorts us. He says to John, blessed is the one who is not offended by me, John. In other words, John, don't give up. Don't shrink back. Stay with me. Jesus says in Mark's gospel, for whoever's ashamed of me and of my words, I'll be ashamed of him. Don't fall away, John. Stay with me. <clears throat> I remember I was talking to a pastor a while back who had just gone through some really difficult times in his ministry. I mean, the kind of stuff that this guy had endured, most people never have to endure. It was just a really, really, really trying season. And so he got to the point where he was just, he was ready to write up his resignation letter. And he pulled up a Word document on his computer and began the process of writing it. And then for whatever reason, it's just weird how our minds work. All of a sudden, as he's writing his resignation letter, he thinks, oh, I didn't get today's mail for the church. I should go get that. So you know, you get to see like sort of like in program mode. So he stops his resignation letter to go get the mail for the church. And he picks up the mail and there's a letter in there that doesn't look like the other letters in there which tends to be just a ton of junk mail that comes to churches, by the way. And he opens it up, and it's just, a, it's just a passage from Hebrews. Now remember, he's right in the middle of writing his resignation letter, and this is what the passage says. It's just written on the paper. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure. Just written on the paper, right there. Not signed by anybody. Right in the moment that he was ready to give up. Now the person who wrote that letter probably had no idea that what they were doing in the moment was actually helping this pastor Stay another day in his ministry. Jesus is doing that for John. Have you ever had somebody do that for you? Just like, don't give up, don't give up, don't give up. Keep going, keep going. I have to do this with my kids all the time. The natural tendency for most of us is to give up, is to give up. We're just tired, go night-night, done. Don't give up, don't give up, don't give up, don't give up. It's okay, don't give up. Jesus says, don't be offended by me, John. Don't be offended by me. But here's the truth. I mean, here's the reality. John is still sitting there in a prison. And he probably is offended by him. And he probably is bothered by him. I mean, let's just be real. Let's make these, these biblical characters are human beings. And John has got to be sitting there saying, where are you and why is this plan not working out the way I thought it was going to? What kind of messianic kingdom is this going to be where I'm eventually going to get beheaded? This doesn't sound like your best life now. I thought it was going to be better than this. 
And it's at that very moment, this is the amazing thing about this passage, at that very moment, when he is most filled with doubt, that we see Jesus turn to the crowds in the text and begin advocating for him. It's an incredible scene. Rather than tear down John for his lack of faith, Jesus does nothing but extol the virtues of John to the crowds. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. And I tell you, more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. What an amazing moment that at the very moment that John is struggling to believe that Jesus is who he said he is. That's when Jesus says, John's the greatest guy who's ever lived. He advocates for him. Not long ago, I was watching 60 Minutes. It's still good, I'm telling you. It is. They had this really interesting story about a man named Alton Logan, who was convicted in Chicago of killing a security guard uh, at McDonald's back in 1982. I mean, he always claimed his innocence, that he didn't do it. But of course, like, what criminal doesn't? You know, what criminal doesn't claim they're innocent? And so he was ignored. I mean, he and his whole family testified even that at the time of the murder, he was literally in bed sleeping. But nevertheless, there were three eyewitnesses that came forward saying they thought he was the guy. And so he was convicted of first-degree murder. And for 26 years, Alton Logan was in jail. And then it turned out that DNA evidence came forward and exonerated him. And he was released. He's innocent. Here's the interesting thing about this story. There were two defense attorneys at the time that he was convicted that knew he wasn't guilty. Their client had actually confessed to them that he was the guy. For 26 years, the defense attorneys held this secret. Why? Because in their minds, their job was to advocate and protect their client. Now, I cringe at that story. I cringe at the story of two guys that knew that an innocent man was laying from me and didn't say anything, but there is a very clear lesson here. When you have an advocate on your side, that advocate stands by you. Jesus is your advocate. When John, when you are struggling the most to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, even then, right then, 
Jesus stands with you. He defends you. When John is at his lowest, he doesn't trash him. He doesn't say, pull up yourself by your bootstraps. He doesn't say, how dare you, John? I thought you were on my team. He doesn't shame him. But in fact, he affirms that John's this man of amazing faith. John is firm and yet questions. And I would say this is what it means to be a member of Jesus' kingdom. We question him. We seek to find truth from him. And if we come and seek to find truth from him, he is just fine dealing with our questions. He can handle it. So I don't know what your questions are. I don't know what your doubts are. I don't know what kinds of things like are swimming in your mind on a regular basis. I would imagine, like most of us, it's you know, sort of seasonal and you know, it kind of comes in waves. Maybe you feel like most of the time you've got a pretty strong certainty. Maybe you're just, you feel like you're a reed shaken by the wind, barely hanging on. Well, whether your faith is mighty and strong or whether it's tiny and barely visible, the good news for you and the good news for John is that weak faith or strong faith gets the same strong Savior. Jesus Christ, the righteous, advocating for you because he loves you. And though we may doubt, he will not leave your side. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, it's uh, very natural for us, especially when times are hard, for us to either forget or to wonder if you're really there, if you're really faithful to us. The closeness that we may have felt at one time, like John certainly would have felt, begins to, um, begins to, to seem to fade away. And yet it is right then, when we seem to not have anything left, that that is when you make your rousing defense of John. And I thank you that we can find assurance there as well. I pray, Lord Jesus, now as we prepare to go to the table, that you would once again nourish our faith and strengthen our faith as we think about what's being given to us, the very body of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of all our sins. We ask this in Jesus' name.